you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting-edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Dr. David here, the cutting-edge doc. And welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with people that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And I'm particularly excited about today's show where we're going to be doing an in-depth interview with an amazing young man named Joshua Gorman. Joshua Gorman is the founder and director of an organization called Generation Waking Up that's designed to empower the millennial generation. As some of you know, one of my main interests and commitments is to support the cross-pollination of energy and love and information and support between the baby boomer, excuse me, between the baby boomer generation and the millennial generation. So I'm particularly excited to share with you the amazing Joshua Gorman. Enjoy the interview. Welcome, friends. This is Dr. David Kamnitzer. Most people call me Dr. David. And I'm very excited about this upcoming conversation with Joshua Gorman. Let me tell you a little bit about Joshua, and then I'll bring Joshua in to the conversation. Joshua is the, uh, I believe it's director. He can correct me later if that's the incorrect title. But he is the uh, main guy at an organization called Generation Waking Up that is committed to igniting a generation of young people to bring forth a thriving, just, sustainable world. And uh, I'll mention this again later, but if you want to check out their website, it's generationwakingup.org. So if you're under 30 or you know people that are under 30 that you care very much about, you may want to let them know about Generation Waking Up and generationwakingup.org. Let me tell you a little bit about Joshua from his bio. Joshua Gorman is a writer, speaker, educator, and a leading voice championing the paradigm-shifting role of today's young generation. He's the founder of Generation Waking Up, a global youth organization whose purpose is to ignite a generation of young people to bring forth a thriving, just, and sustainable world. Joshua serves on the board of directors for the Global Youth Action Network, TIG USA, and supports youth-led projects internationally. He's a student of human development and transformational education with a focus on providing young people the experiences, knowledge, and skills they need to thrive in the 21st century. Currently, Joshua is completing a nonfiction book about the millennial generation and 21st century social change. And as I mentioned, you can learn more about Joshua and his work at www.generationwakingup.org. 
Joshua, welcome to the conversation. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Jonathan is someone that I have a tremendous amount of admiration and respect for, for what he's been able to accomplish at a relatively young age. Joshua, are you like 34 now? Yeah, I'm right. Yep. Right in my mid thirties now. Okay. And, uh, I know you're married and I think you have one child. Yeah, I have an, uh, a one-year-old. Um, and it's, yeah, the most incredible thing ever. And uh, is it a girl or a boy? Yeah, it's a little girl. Her name is Zahara. My goodness. And uh, are you uh, still living in the Bay Area? And I'm, I'm based in Oakland. So that's Oakland, California in the United States, for those of you listening internationally. And, uh, you know, that brings up something I want to pick up later on in the conversation. The uh, San Francisco Bay Area can be a pretty expensive place for anybody to live, let alone a person in their 30s with a wife and a young child. And so it reminds me one of the things I want to talk about later in the conversation is about how, Joshua, how you handle the money game such that it... Uh, doesn't get in your way from more important things, because I know that's a challenge for many people, many young people, and certainly for many cultural creatives that are living here in the Bay Area. Yes. Um, I first found out about Joshua, I think, through my interest in a couple of organizations, the Panchamama Alliance, which is an organization that is from is committed to promoting social justice and particularly supporting the indigenous people of the rainforest in South America to preserve their way of life and to preserve the forest. And also, Joshua also has an involvement in the Mankind Project, which is a organization that's committed to bringing out the best in men. And, um, Another reason I'm really interested in this conversation is that uh, I see Joshua as a wonderful representative of what's possible for the younger generation. I guess he's a little bit on the tail end of the millennials, but certainly is committed to serving the millennials. And I'm a baby boomer. I'm as as we're doing this recording. I'm a I'm like a month short of my 59th birthday. I was born in 1956. And, uh, you know, so I'm at an age where I'm starting to think about my senior years and about my legacy and about what I want to do with the rest of my life and the impact that I want to have for the rest of this lifetime. And I'm finding more and more that where my energy is naturally going is wanting to learn from and to empower the millennial generation because I have a strong feeling that the boomers and the millennials have a lot to learn from each other and a lot to contribute together. And uh, I'm excited about exploring that possibility too in this conversation. But what I'd like to do now is just turn it over to you for a little bit, Joshua, and just invite you to just introduce yourself and your work to 
our audience. And uh, feel free to just take that introduction wherever you like. And uh, I might interrupt if there's something burning that I want to point out or ask you. But basically, why don't you take take the mic for a while and uh, work with me here to help set the stage. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, David. Again, uh, great to be on this um, call with you. Um, let me start just by sharing a little bit about myself, because it's really my personal journey, my hero's journey that led to the birth of Generation Waking Up. Um, we call Generation Waking Up Gen Up for short, so if you hear me speaking to it in that way, that's why. Um, so I'm a child of these times, um, and I came of age in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., so on the east coast of the United States, um, in a very mainstream culture. Uh, my, my family was very traditional Christian. Um, my parents were born lower class and you know, moved their way up into the middle class. Um, I had five siblings. And in my teenage years, when I started to come of age, um, and the way I like to speak to it is that adolescence is the age of awakening. It's when we really begin to wake up to who we are and to the world and ask those big questions of life. And so when I went through that process, I found myself just overwhelmed and deeply disturbed by the state of the world that I had been born into and that I was witnessing all around me. Um, I had a very broken, dysfunctional family, and the community I lived in was very multicultural and very divided, and there was just so many problems. Um, and then environmentally, you know, I think young people, especially in these times, were attuned to climate change and all of the environmental um, dangers that we're facing, and that in itself presents an existential um, predicament that really, you know, um, can disturb uh, an innocent young soul that's that's opening up to the world. So, I found myself going through a deep existential life crisis that began in my mid-teens, and really for me carried into my early twenties. Um, and fortunately, um, I, I felt very lost and alone um, at that time in my life. I didn't have any mentors or elders or connections with um, you know, members of the boomer generation who recognized what was happening to me. Um, and I felt really alone. But fortunately, I discovered some life-saving books. Um, for me, authors like Jack Kerouac, who wrote On the Road, um, and books by Herman Hesse, who wrote books like Siddhartha and Damien and Narcissus and Goldman. And within these books, there were these archetypal characters who were asking the deep questions of life. And they were going off on adventures, you know, searching for meaning, trying to find answers to, to the questions that were burning alive inside of them. And those books really helped awaken in me what Joseph Campbell um, refers to as the call to adventure. And, and so in my, um, you know, by the age of 17, I found myself just really longing to break free. And I got really clear. I didn't want to just take the traditional American path and go off to a prestigious university. Instead, I wanted to um, 
I wanted to take some time off and discover who I was and, and you know, what was happening in the world. So um, I left the East Coast and I traveled out to California when I was 18. Um, in between 18 and 21, I, I just kind of traveled around and bounced around and worked from, you know, in different towns um, in California and Oregon. I went all the way up to Alaska. And by age 21, I found myself living in Hawaii, on the big island of Hawaii. Um, and during these, these years, especially 18 to 21, I was just, I was so depressed, so lost in all of my searching. I still just, I, all I could see was like this breakdown of our times. Um, and it was so hard to make peace with it. And I had, um, I had lost my religion in my mid-teens, too. I forgot to share that. I was raised Christian. My best friend was Pakistani-American, and he, uh, he was raised Muslim. And we both, we recognized, like, we were the same human being. And so something was not right about the religious stories that we had been um, given. And so we both kind of let those stories go. And we had no story um, for our lives anymore. Um, so as I was, you know, in this kind of period of an existential life crisis, um, I was searching for a story to make sense out of the madness, you know, to bring meaning to the madness that I knew so clearly with inside myself. Um, and so for those years, I was really lost in that, um, in that process and, at age 21, though, um, I had the good fortune to end up in the Hawaiian Islands, and I started to surround myself with positive people. I found myself living on an organic farm, um, and I had a whole back-to-nature experience, just getting you know, deeply rooted in nature and working in my body and getting out of my head. Um, all of my negative thought patterns started to dispel, and I found myself... Um, experiencing moments of, of stillness and uh, inner peace and connecting with just the power and beauty of, of this planet um, that I, I had no connection to when I grew up in the concrete jungle you know, of, of Washington, D.C. and our urban reality these days. Um, and it was also in, in Hawaii in my early 20s where I finally be began my spiritual explorations and I started to uh, do a lot of meditation and yoga and go and expose myself to different faith traditions and sit with spiritual teachers. Um, and my inner life started to really come alive and I started to have experiences of oneness and deep connectivity um, that just filled me up with just love um, and purpose and meaning um, and, and happiness, ultimately, you know, a, a deep sense of joy and satisfaction. And I found myself started to care about the world again, because in those years of, um, you know, the dark night of my soul, I really, I couldn't care. Um, the world seemed so broken, so hopeless. I just, I couldn't, I didn't care about what was going to happen. It, nothing seemed like it mattered. But suddenly I found myself caring again and wanting to make a difference. Um, 
And it was at this time in Hawaii where I also discovered some amazing thinkers. Um, I started to read the works of the philosopher Ken Wilber, who writes books like um, one is titled A Brief History of Everything. And he provides just this sweeping worldview um, that allows one to understand human history and where we've come from and how our societies have evolved and developed over time and how humans actually develop as individuals and every stage of human development from um, being a baby all the way to being a Buddha. Um, like there's a science to human development that we have access to in this time. And so I started to understand how I too um, could learn and grow and how all of my friends could and my family could and how our world could you know, grow and evolve and um, heal from our past um, and transform the future. And um, all of this conspired to bring about kind of a, a breakthrough moment in my life, which gave rise to Generation Waking Up. And it really crystallized. One day I was walking home from school. I was back in university in Hawaii. Um, and I was just, you know, deep in thought, just as I often was with the big questions of life and trying to understand it all. And... Um, something happened where I had an epiphany and I just, my, I was like filled with a lot of energy and in my mind, I started to see a movie playing out and I saw history unfolding and I saw, um, I saw humanity really heal and transform itself. And I saw social movements like we've been witnessing, you know, throughout the Arab spring and the Occupy movement and, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, most recently in the United States. And I saw these social movements with young people at the fore of, of creating change in society. Um, and I saw us make it. I saw us enter into the new world. Um, and it was, a, it was a deeply humbling experience. And the words generation waking up actually came into my mind, you know, as I was having that, that vision and that understanding. And I knew in that moment that I had to be part of it. I had to go back into the world um, and join forces with other young people to help bring about um, the, the new humanity, the new civilization, to speak in kind of grander terms. Um, and um, there was part of me that didn't want to take that on, I was really intimidated and I was like, forget that. I'm going to stay here in Hawaii and just live a simple, good life. But there was a deeper part of me that knew that, you know, that I had a mission, I had a purpose, and I had to trust what I had just seen. I had to trust that inner calling within me. And I, I had to go back and, and be a part of the change that's happening in our world. So... Um, fast forward, I, I made my way back to Washington, D.C. I ended up studying um, global youth and social change at George Mason University um, in Washington, D.C. Um, and I, I became a change maker. I suddenly was just turned on and on fire to learn about change and how change happens and who's doing what and how can I link up and, you know, how can I be a part of it? Um, and... Um, before I knew it, I was joining forces with other young, uh, young people like I, I had foreseen. And it led to the birth of an organization called Generation Waking Up. Um, we've now been running 
programs for four years, um, really igniting and empowering young change makers, helping them understand the big picture of our times, helping them develop leadership skills um, for creating change in the 21st century, helping them connect up with um, some of the most exciting social movements that we've ever seen before. So that's, you know, that's, that's the journey that I've been on um, personally. There's, there's a lot more details, of course, to, to, you know, to different chapters within it. But I, I feel very grateful that um, I found my way through the darkness um, and have been able to bring my gifts back into society and, and you know, try, trying to, to serve the better world that I think we all long for. Thank you, Joshua. I really appreciate that. A couple of questions, uh, deepening questions before we move on to talk more about your work. When you had this enlightenment, this realization, this epiphany, did did that include a lot of spontaneous emotional healing? Or did you find that after that, you still had a lot of emotional clearing to do? That's a great question. Um, yeah, so I also, you know, this, that epiphany, that like moment of insight and breakthrough really happened at a time when I was doing a lot of deep personal healing work. So I think there was a lot of emotional healing happening in my life. There was a lot of moments of insight, you know, but this was like the big one, the kind of um, crystallization of it all. But it, um, I didn't, um, for me personally, I still had a lot of healing still to do. Um, and on one level, there was like a deep, deep inner confidence and, and a sense of trust and surrender in me that, that I think came at that moment and has sustained ever since. Um, but a lot of um, my the, the inner wounds from my childhood, um, they were still there, you know, habits and patterns that I um, had, yeah, formed throughout my life's journey thus far, they were still there. And so um, even up until this day, you know, I'm, um, relationship has definitely been the greatest crucible, you know, for, for working on um, some of the remaining you know, deep, deep work in my life. And, and my sense at this point, too, is, you know, I, I see tremendous healing happening personally, and yet um, I expect that I'll spend the rest of my life, right, doing some of the healing work that, that I need to do. Yeah, thank you, Joshua. Your path parallels mine, I think, in many ways. Um, I, I, too, had a powerful awakening at a fairly young age, and I had that confidence uh, to move into the future. And at the same time, I had the awareness and the humility to know that there was a lot of healing work still left to be done, but it was being done from a, from a place of joy and a place of knowingness. And that's a, it's a double-edged sword, but I, I, I'm grateful that, that it unfolded for me that way. And it sounds like it unfolded that way for you too. And also, um, I'm struck by the fact that a lot of the catalytic experiences happened for you when you were in the Hawaiian Islands. And the Hawaiian Islands have a lot of Lemurian energy, 
uh, and a lot of connection to a certain level of consciousness. And I know how much you uh, felt connected to the land there as well. And I feel a strong connection there as well. So I, I think I really understand at a pretty deep level a lot of what you were going through and uh, that sense on one hand of confidence, that quiet confidence that you know that on one level it's, it's, it's done, but on another level everything's playing itself out and that level of reality needs to be honored and respected as well. So I really, I really can appreciate that. So how did your parents, uh, how was this for your parents that, you know, you, you really, you really became in a way a new person? How, how did that impact the family dynamics and your relationship with your parents and any brothers or sisters that you have? Yeah, um, it's been an incredible journey on, on that front. I was a really um, wild child in my teenage years and really angry. Um, and my parents divorced actually going into my high school years. And so I had a lot of anger towards them um, for kind of breaking up our family. Um, and my father, the truth is, he wasn't in my life um, very often during my teenage years and even for much of my 20s. Um, so I, I, you know, he witnessed me go through that change um, a lot less than my mother did and some of my siblings. Um, so when I left Washington, D.C., I was really, I was very angry, very lost. My mom was concerned for my health and well-being. Um, my, both my peers and my family, um, they were concerned, you know, about my future success, my professional life, um, because I wasn't going straight, straight to college or university. Um, and then I left and for years I, I was away and, um, I, you know, I came back a couple times, um, for visits. So there was some touch-ins and my mother, and I kept in touch um, from afar. But um, during those years, I changed a lot. Um, and my family is not a family that is committed to personal growth or personal transformation in a really strong way. Um, they're great people, but um, they're middle class, um, mainstream Americans, very much um, caught up in, in this culture. And their lives are, are, are centered in, in mainstream culture. Um, but I think, um, so it was, I, I say that because it, it still is very hard for them to relate to who I am now and even the worlds that I walk in and the work that I engage with because it's, it's just very different from their reality. Um, it's like traveling to another culture, right? They, most of them have not traveled outside of the United States and it's just so hard to understand other cultural realities. Um, and it's this, I, I experienced the same with you know being able to understand kind of the 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 creative cultures you know um, and even the West Coast um, California culture that you can find in the Bay Area. Um, but there was uh, a recognition of the the peace and the happiness and the goodness that was flowing through me. And I think I know my mom was just. Um, 
It was, it was a little bit of a paradox. She was both relieved because she could see I was happy and I was healthy and I was, you know, eventually going back to school and was, you know, getting my life in order. And yet it was confusing because she, she's Christian and she, you know, I wasn't, I still, I didn't, I don't believe, you know, um, the same thing she believes. Um, and I, I, my life looks very different from hers. And so, um, you know, it was, it's a little confusing to understand um, what makes me so happy and what makes me so healthy. But I, you know, I've really taken on the art of family activism or, you know, really um, working on, you know, small steps of change within my own family. Um, and I've really learned to be grateful for the gift of having a family that's more conservative, that's more mainstream, because they keep me connected to that pulse um, and that part of society, which I want to be able to influence and be able to speak to. Um, I'm not just looking to, you know, to reach young people who uh, are, yeah, have taken off and found their way to California or, you know, the young cultural creatives. I'm also looking for young people still very much um, in our mainstream culture. Um, I, I think even more so those are the young people who need to hear some of the message that I bring um, because they're, they're not going to be exposed to it anywhere else because um, they're not seeking it out themselves. So um, my family today has a lot of respect for who I am and I think they have a really hard time understanding who, you know, who I am and what I'm up to. I understand. Could you talk a little bit more about your relationship to mentors, it, uh, maybe people of my generation, and how that evolved for you over time? Because I would imagine with the family of origin that you had and the cultural milieu you came from, that you must have had at least one or two, if not more, significant mentors between then and now. Yeah, Um I, it took a little while, but I did, you know, life um, did lead some really special pe people um, my way. Um, and then over time, I began to become really proactive in seeking out mentors and, and elders. Um, my first, the first person I, I'd say who was a mentor in my life, um, I met when I was 18. Um, I was living in Oregon at the time. He was Lebanese-American, and um, he was a, a philosopher, really an everyday philosopher, because he was a, a chef and a mechanic and, you know, um, a bit of a uh, yeah, blue-collar worker. And yet he had studied philosophy at university and, um, uh, yeah, had immersed himself in poetry and literature. Um, and he had a love for the big questions in life. And so he, when we met, he recognized that I was this young, this young seeker who was, was asking the same big questions. And so he would begin to just have conversations with me and suggest books. Um, and it, it just, it felt, ah, I, it felt so relieving to be held by someone who saw me and who valued my journey, who valued my questions, um, and who didn't try to prescribe answers, you know, but just, just continue to stoke the fire 
and encourage me to ask further questions and would humbly share, you know, like, hey, here's what, here's some answers or conclusions that I've come to, you know, but always held in a very open way. And so um, for many years, um, yeah, we, we were active in each other's lives. And then from a distance, we've kept in touch. Um, and then in Hawaii, I, I also had another mentor who um, very much uh, takes on the persona of Socrates, um, and intentionally so. And so he is a, he's another philosopher poet um, that I met at, on, the, on the university campus of um, University of Hawaii in Hilo. And he was someone who loved to engage with young, inquisitive minds. And I took a class with him, and he invited me into a small group with some other students. And we used to get together every week just to, again, talk about the deep questions of life. And he, he really saw me. Um, and he told me, like, look, I, you know, I, I so honor the path that you've taken. And I, I get how challenging it's been, right, to step away and leave your home and, and to follow your heart. Um, and he just, you know, just encouraged me. Um, and still to this day, we have a very active um, friendship. In fact, he, he sent me an email a couple months ago just acknowledging, like, look, you know, this is your anniversary from, you know, the time when you left home and look how far you've come. And there's something powerful for a young person to be seen and witnessed and honored by an older, by an elder. Um, it's something that every young person longs for and, and needs. Um, and, and so I'll share, though, um, once uh, Generation Waking Up was seated in me and, and I was alive with that vision, um, I started to just reach out to mentors. And at that point, I was feeling more confident. And I started to, you know, through reading books, I would reach out to authors that I admired. Um, through the internet, you know, it's so easy to find people's websites and look for their email and just send them a message and see if I could come meet them in person or talk with them by phone. And sometimes I would just have a one-time conversation with someone, but um, there are many people who be, have become deep friends um, and mentors over the time who really recognize, like, hey, here's a young millennial who is... Um, you know, trying to pick up the torch and also forward these great causes like I've done throughout all my life. And so that's been hugely valuable. Um, and I think I'll just, one last thing about this is I, I share the same passion and sense that you do, that there's tremendous potential for the boomer generation and the millennial generation to join forces. Um, you know, it took me a while, but over time I started to read my history and I started to discover that um, cultural, cultural creatives from the boomers had gone on the same journey that I had been going through myself. Um, they, many of them had left home and had been questioning the status quo um, deeply and had begun creating the new society through so many different forms. Um, and I started to realize that, wow, millennials are very much standing on the shoulders of giants, especially the boomer generation. Um, and there's something, it's something rare. From, from my understanding, 
boomers did have some elders, you know, and, and teachers who were there to kind of mentor and support them. But by and large, they didn't have this conscious older generation like millennials do. So um, here you, you have millennials, this dynamic, um, unprecedented, technologically equipped generation just like on fire to change the world. And then they have this boomer generation that not, not only has been creating change for decades, but many of them are healthy and ready to you know, live the whole second half of their life um, still on purpose and still creating um, social change. Um, and they're going to live you know, into their 80s and 90s and even you know, over 100. So, so much is possible there. Um, so it's, it's a deep passion I have for how do we connect those, uh, these generations up and how do we learn from each other? How do we work together? Wonderful. I have a couple of other questions um, before we move on to your current work. These are a little personal, so if you don't want to talk about them, absolutely no problem. Uh, one thing I know that many people in our culture are dealing with because of the various brainwashing and conditioning and manipulations that are going on, but certainly young people are very much uh affected by this as well in terms of their not only their identity but in terms of getting along in life and and being effective in life are the issues of dealing with money and support and self-sufficiency in the whole area of sexuality sexual identity the the right use of sexual energy and if you're willing to talk about it i was wondering if you could talk about in your journey toward becoming an adult in this world and a change agent, what's your journey been like in terms of uh, your relationship with money and financial sustenance and your relationship in terms of exploring sexuality and the right use of sexual energy? Great. Those are really really juicy topics, um, and I'd be happy to share personally about my journey. Um, so, you know, I grew up, as I shared earlier, with um, parents who were poor, you know, um, you know, lower to middle class um, folks, and they worked their way up. My dad went into the military, became a doctor through the Army, um, and today makes a lot of money. So he's very self-made. And my parents had strong ethics that you had to provide for yourself. And, you know, once you're 18, you're on your own and um, you have to pay for college on your own. And so I started working at a really young age and I've, I've just always had to work. So I've had a, a strong work ethic. And when I left home, that's how I sustained myself. I just worked jobs, saved up money. And I lived simply and, you know, spread my pennies as far as they could go. But I had no financial literacy. You know, my parents hadn't taught me budgeting. Um, they hadn't really, I mean, I guess, you know, I had always heard my mom, you know, speak about debt and how debt was a bad thing and you should never have debt. But um, I think it's safe to say that I was shaped by and programmed by mainstream culture. So by the time I 
I went back to university, like a lot of students, I didn't, you know, I didn't have parents who were paying for my education and I didn't want to work a full-time job and just, you know, um, be able to pay for everything that way. And so I took out student loans and I did so, um, um, without much thought. And I took out the most amount that they would give me. Um, and yeah, I, I racked up, uh, a, a a, a big load of student debt, which I'm actually still paying off today. Um, and I, I definitely feel like uh, it came out of an unconsciousness around money. Um, and also just, you know, young, I do think young people are um, ripe for um, falling prey to, to, to this, you know, to credit cards and loans being thrown at them. Um, because the attitude I had when I was in college, was like, oh, who cares? Like, I'll figure it out later. And um, even though I didn't share it, you know, there's many um, young people today who kind of uh, dismiss debt, and they're like, oh, well, who cares? It's you know, the whole economic system's going to fall apart anyway, so I don't need to pay it back. And so, you know, there's a huge problem with um, people not paying their their loans back. Um, but so it was later. It ah. For me, it wasn't until my late 20s and early 30s that I started to wake up financially and learn about financial literacy. And in part, that, be, uh, that came from running an organization and having to learn about money and finances there. And, and then second, it came through just you know growing up and becoming more mature and being in a relationship and starting to have to think about um, family and, and a livelihood. Um, and, and today it's, it's still a huge challenge for me personally. Um, I am someone who is so committed to living my purpose and I'm so allergic to having to do any work that's not aligned with my purpose. And in truth, I, I feel like a part of me would say that I'm such a sensitive soul too that if I had to um, work some job that wasn't aligned with who I am and, and my purpose that um, I would get really sick and unhealthy and ultimately probably want to take my life. Like um, that's, that's probably an exaggeration, but there's some truth to it. Like um, I have to live my purpose to, to be happy and healthy. Um, and yet, um, I work in a nonprofit, and nonprofits do not pay very well. And I work in a nonprofit that I started and um, is not a very sustainable operation. And so there's a constant state of scarcity, a constant state of worry and hustling for, you know, how am I going to continue to pay the bills to both to keep my organization running, but also to, you know, to be able to pay myself a salary. Um, and then now that I've become a father, the salary I make in a nonprofit is not sufficient. Um, and it's unlikely that I can make a salary within this current nonprofit to, you know, to, to live the life that I need to live, especially here in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is you know, one of the most expensive places. On some polls, it is the most expensive city within the United States. Um, and so I'm currently facing some deep questions around um, how do I transition um, my life and career um, into a place of still serving, 
still living my purpose, but making, uh, yeah, a, a larger salary. And so, um, I, I feel confident that, I, you know, I feel privileged enough that I can open enough doors and, you know, um, continue to serve my purpose and continue to generate uh, a livelihood, um, yeah, that can care for, for everything that I need to care for. And yet there's, I, I have fear and concern too. You know, it's not, I haven't proven myself there yet. I haven't made that shift, you know, to that um, higher financial bracket. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a daily concern. And again, I want to be really clear that I feel like I'm one of the more privileged um, people. I, th I know um, many friends and many of the young people I work with um, are not able to find jobs um, to hire them where they can live their purpose and make a living. Like when we, when we put out a job posting at Generation Waking Up, we get so many applications and there are so many amazing young millennials looking for meaningful work and yet here we are, the small nonprofit, and we can't afford to hire them. Um, so I, yeah, it breaks my heart, you know, that, that young people... Um, even more so in this generation, are committed to living lives of purpose and having meaningful work. And there is plenty of it out there, and yet uh, there's, there's not enough. So, David, let me pause there before we go on to the second conversation. And any follow-up questions? Well, just some comments. Uh, first of all, thank you, Joshua. And uh, secondly, I was thinking as you were speaking that uh, – I was thinking about a gentleman who I'm going to be interviewing for our podcast soon, a friend of mine named Richard Brooke, who has become very financially successful by helping many other people to become financially successful and creating residual income using the structure of network marketing. And I know some young people that are really committed to making a big difference in the world that have caught on to this idea of multiple streams of income with one of the income streams being a network marketing company that they feel really good about on every level. And um, it, you know, I'm a, I'm a proponent of network marketing when it's done properly. And your comments are just motivating me to do even more to reach out to young people, to let them know that this is, an available possibility to put into the mix. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think, um, yeah, possibilities like that are really important to be shared with um, millennials, especially millennials who are, yeah, are committed to a life of purpose and need to sustain themselves. I have a friend named Dave Anderson who has his own podcast called Moving Millennials. And I'd like to connect you guys. He is also a big proponent of introducing the possibility of network marketing to millennials. And uh, we're both involved with the same company that has a lot of integrity. And uh, um, if you want to, let me know. And when we're off the air, I'll, I'll connect you to Dave because... At the very minimum, I think you guys would have some interesting conversations. Great. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. The other thought I have is that my personal feeling, um, you know, just for the historical record, this conversation is being 
we're having this conversation in March of 2015, and my feeling is that the entire uh, current economic ball game on our planet that involves basically a, a private central banking structure that is not accountable to any particular country, really, uh, that's basically puts money into circulation by creating debt. I don't see this lasting much longer because the middle class is almost gone and the whole ball game is predicated on consumerism. And if the middle class doesn't have money to buy things, the whole system starts breaking down. So I, I understand the feeling that many of us have that, uh, that the current system is unsustainable and that there probably will be some type of at least partial debt forgiveness. But that's probably part of the the mix that that we're all being affected by is this this knowing that we're that we're swimming in unsustainable waters when it comes to the money game on the planet right now. And I think part of what the the light workers are doing now, what the cultural creatives are doing now, are exploring other possible economic models that are not dependent on the control of a small number of families. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of um, Sacred Economics, a book by Charles Eisenstein, and then also, you know, we're the Bitcoin generation. And so if, if um, people haven't done any research around Bitcoin, around other digital currencies, um, technology is, is, is really starting to disrupt um, our financial systems fundamentally. And so there's, there's a lot of um, possibility opening up in, in a time when our economic systems really are breaking down. Yeah, I'd like to talk to you sometime in another conversation about Bitcoin, because on one hand, I like that there are new options. But on the other hand, I have the concern that uh, the Bitcoin currency is also not backed by anything that's real. And I have some concerns along those lines, but let's let's leave that for another conversation. Great. So did you want to say anything about your journey in terms of uh, your own sexuality and your understanding of the role that sexuality and sexual energy can play in the bigger picture and in healing and in waking up? I'll share a little bit, um, but I'll, I'll preface it by saying I think this is an area both personally and for millennials that there's um, tremendous amount um, of opportunity, right, for learning and conversation. And um, I'm aware that for the boomers, they experienced what has been named, you know, a sexual revolution. Um, and, you know, I guess I'm sure that sexual revolution is continuing on. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about what, you know, what, what, intentional learning can happen um, on this front as well between boomers and, and millennials. Um, but I will share that, again, growing up, um, you know, a white heterosexual male um, in a mainstream culture, 
you know, I had Christian programming that was sharing, like, don't engage in sexuality at all until you're married. And, you know, it was a very taboo subject. Um, we did not talk openly about sexuality in my family. Um, but I also grew up in a very liberal culture where my um, male friends were constantly um, talking about sex and, you know, sexualizing um, our female peers. Um, and I grew up very much, um, yeah, projecting my sexual desires uh, upon every woman, you know, who, who surrounded me. Um, and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a hard process to transform that part of my life. Um, so I'll share, you know, in my teenage years and in my early twenties, I was very much, um, just a free spirited traveler as I shared and, you know, had, had a lot of relationships and my sexual relationships were not very intentional, were not very, um, intimate. Um, and I, w I personally was, was not, you know, what people might call like a, a womanizer or, you know, someone who really was out there always trying to, um, have sexual relationships with women. But I, I, there were definitely plenty of times where I, I, I did engage in, in sexual relationships where there wasn't, consciousness there wasn't connection there wasn't really like deep caring concern for this other human being and in my early 20s when I started to really go through my personal healing and awakening I I, I remember that I, I just I couldn't engage in those relationships anymore um, I couldn't just um, be a part of what is called the hookup culture you know in the United States um, I found it so hard. Like I couldn't, I couldn't like a lot of guys would, you know, just would pretend to like someone so they could, you know, go to bed with them. And I just couldn't be inauthentic like that. Um, so I'll share that I, at that point, I actually chose to become um, a, a celibate monk for quite some time. Um, there was, in, you know, around the time Generation Waking Up was born, I really got clear, like, look, I'm not into dating. And maybe one day I'll meet someone who I want to spend my life with. But until then, like, I'm just going to devote myself and my sexual energy to this creative process of, you know, um, creating, you know, creating an organization, making the world a better place. And so um, I personally have that unique story of I spent many years, um, yeah, celibate and single. And I actually felt like I could, um, I could have sustained that throughout my life. I, I felt like I was so nurtured by my inner life, by my spiritual life, um, that I actually didn't need, need to engage in those relationships. But I had a hunch that I was going to meet someone special and that more likely I would fall in love. And, um, you know, get married. And eventually that is what happened. I met someone and it was, you know, a phenomenal, magical story. And so today we're married, we're monogamous, um, and we're still, you know, so we're, we're in the context of a, a, a married monogamous relationship and exploring, like, how do you sustain intimacy at all levels, including, you know, sexual 
um, sexually. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a challenging but beautiful path we're on. Um, and I want to share that I'm aware that this is just, this is just like one experience of sexuality amongst younger people in these times. Um, in the San Francisco Bay Area especially, there is so much exper experimentation. There are so many different expressions around human sexuality. It's, it's such a, a fascinating times. It also can be really confusing, too. I think there are a lot of young people who are um, really lost in exploring um, who they are sexually and who they want to be. Um, and I, I think the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll share is that I really... Um, like to explore the questions of if you, if you believe in human evolution and um, that we as a species are evolving and that in many ways we're really beginning to transcend our traditional gender roles, you know, as men and women. Um, and sexually too, it's, it's beginning to impact, you know, who we are sexually as, as human beings. Um, and so what, what does that hold for our future? You know, um, there's, there's uh, increasing numbers of people who identify as transgender. Um, there are increasing numbers of people who have all types of, you know, sexual relationships. And so it's, it's, it's both an exciting time and a, a confusing, bewilder, bewildering time. Um, so that's just a little window into some of my journey. And yet I know there are folks who have very different stories than my own. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate that. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts about kind of some seed thoughts that might be useful for your generation in this area. Uh, but I don't want to take the time in this interview to go into it. But if you'd like to have that conversation sometime, I'd be happy to have that. Thank you. Appreciate it, David. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's uh, tell us a little more about a little more of the details about how how Generation Waking Up got um, got established. Yeah, so um, I started to to find like minded young people, and a few of us started to dream into creating an organization that would bring. Uh, this larger vision um, that Generation Waking Up speaks to um, into the world, and how you know how could we communicate this message? How could we host workshops and trainings? And we started to develop an organization. And as we were getting going, um, you know, about a year in, into things, uh, we developed a partnership with the Pachamama Alliance, who you mentioned earlier. And they had a transformational workshop called the Awakening the Dreamer, Changing the Dream Symposium. And I participated in it, and I was astounded that they were sharing a narrative and a story that was so kindred um, to the story of Generation Waking Up. It was, um, they were connecting the issues you know, between social justice and environmental sustainability and spiritual fulfillment. And they had speakers like Van Jones and Julia Butterfly Hill and Paul Hawken and Joanna Macy, all the heroes that um, were also inspiring the work of Gen Up. And so I knew there was something special here and that um, 
though their workshop was geared towards adults and it was created by boomers. And so it didn't have the cultural feel that would work for millennials. I knew there was something they had really figured out and that we could adapt and use for millennials. And so um, we built a relationship with the Pachamama Alliance. It took some time. And then at a certain point, they agreed to partner with us as their youth partner. And they really started to support us in, in creating a youth version, a youth adaptation of their symposium. Um, so that became what is now the Generation Waking Up Experience, or the Wake Up for short. And it's a three-hour um, interactive multimedia workshop where we um, take young people through a journey of exploring four questions. We look at who are we as a young generation today? We look at where are we? You know, what, what is the state of the world that we've been born into? We look at what has to change, focusing in on root causes to the challenges we're facing. And then last, we look, we look at what do we do now? You know, what's, what's my role in creating change and how can I join forces with others to be part of the, you know, the great wave of social change that is happening in our time? Um, so that workshop is really how we ignite the fire of young change makers. And then after um, that workshop, they might go on to one of our leadership training programs where we help um, young people develop 21st century leadership skills around, again, personal growth and a sense of purpose and collaboration and um, working across issues of diversity and with issues around social justice and, you know, how do we actually create projects or if I have a, a startup vision, you know, how do I, how do I become a social entrepreneur? Um, so we, we try to help young people find their purpose and then create their vehicle um, to bring about impact at their camp, on their campus or in their community or, you know, fully launching a national or global campaign. So um, we're, we're really, we do broad-based youth empowerment work. We're not an issue-specific organization. We're really helping um, bring about systems-thinking, world-changing leaders who are working at all levels. And we're trying to influence the, the, the youth culture as a whole um, to become more holistic and really see how all of the different issues that we care about are connected to this larger uh, process of civilization transformation unfolding in our time. Wonderful. Uh, what are you most excited about these days specifically? Like, is there a specific project or a specific idea or what are you most jazzed about right now? Yeah, so there's three, I'll, I'll share about three projects that I'm most jazzed about. Um, and these are more pers personal um, projects within Generation Waking Up, though. So one, as, as the founder of Generation Waking Up, I you know, have the gift of um, really bringing a unique voice and perspective to our work. And I am working on a nonfiction book that will share the narrative of um, the millennial generation. And it'll spotlight uh, all of the exciting and emerging trends in each sector of society. So the book is broken into, um, into four parts. The first part is a new generation, and it you know, talks about millennials and the history of generations. The second part is around a new story, and it talks about you know, the history of life and humanity and, 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 and about a new worldview that is like reshaping 
um, global society. The third part is the largest part, and that's really um, about the new world emerging in our time. And we look at politics and science and education and business and, um, you know, really looking at where the future um, is going and, and, and spotlighting the, the stories and solutions of people who are making it happen. Um, and all of this, you know, to help young people see how they can connect up with these um, trends that are reshaping society. And then the last section is around a new movement. And, it, you know, it's talking about social change in the 21st century and how we can all be a part of accelerating that and deepening um, these movements that are already underway. So, you know, it's, it's a big manifesto for millennials. Um, and it's an open living manifesto that will articulate, you know, a vision of what is happening at this moment um, that hopefully will be up updated over the years to come. And hopefully many other voices will also be speaking to this. Um, and mine will just be one offering, right, into, into that larger story that we're, we're all a part of. So I'm actually working every day in the morning um, on this book, and I hope to complete it by the end of this year. And um, you know, hoping to sign with a publisher in the months ahead. Um, so that's, that's one big personal project that I'm working on. Second is we're, we're creating a high school curriculum um, based on our, the curriculum of our workshops and leadership training. So we're slowing down our curriculum in a way that'll work for high school teachers to offer in their classes with high school students everywhere. Um, and it's, you know, education's a huge passion of mine. And I think if we want to truly reach large numbers of young people, we need to be working with our schools and our educational institutions. And even though they're broken um, or very dysfunctional and not deeply transformative, um, I do still think there's hope on that forefront. And so we're creating a curriculum that hopefully will be transformative for both teachers and the students that they work with. Um, and the goal is after we create the high school version of this curriculum, we want to create an online version that young people can access from anywhere in the world. Um, and hopefully it, it will be a big gift you know, to this generation. And then the third is um, you know, our, the the community organizing model that we use. So we empower leaders, young leaders, but we also, our, our biggest hope is that we can kind of create a movement of, um, of chapters and communities out there in the world. And so we're honing in on um, a community organizing model that students could unleash on their campus or in their community. And the branding is called Thrive. And so, you know, the vision is that down the road, there'd be like a Thrive Berkeley High, you know, or a Thrive UC Berkeley. Um, but there'll be all these um, chapters. And David, I know you're, you're connected to a documentary called Thrive, and I should share out, right, that this isn't connected to that documentary, although, you know, some of our values are aligned um, you know, there's not a direct connection there, but Thrive is a, is a meme, I think, that is being expressed in many ways, and I think it speaks to the possibility and potential uh, of, of these times, you know, of humanity, and so that's really where, for us, that comes in from. But we're, we're, we're working to really design what would these student chapters look like? How could they organize 
in the ecosystem of social change, you know, on a college campus and help take things to the next level. There's a lot of traditional student activism and student leadership still taking place on campuses. And we, we're trying to bring innovative tools and methodologies and conversations into the heart of it all to help kind of lift the whole field of, of youth activism and youth social change. That's very exciting. Um, with regard to your relationship with the other Thrive people, I would encourage you to get in touch with Foster and Kimberly Gamble and explore if there are areas of natural alignment that where you guys could empower each other because uh, I think there's some some juicy possibilities there. Okay, well, moving toward uh, wrapping this conversation up, uh, a couple of things. One, is there anything that you'd like to say in closing? And number two, for people out there that uh, that are either interested in getting in touch with you and learning more about your work or know people under 30 that might really appreciate knowing about this, other than just the general suggestion to check out generationwakingup.org, do you have any other specific recommendations or action steps that people take? Yeah, so I think in closing, you know, I will touch back in on the intergenerational thread that we've touched on a, a couple times in this conversation and just share that um, I'm a huge believer in the power and possibility of the millennial generation. And, you know, Buckminster Fuller has a, a famous quote that goes something like, um, young people are, are, are our elders in universe time. And, you know, so he's speaking to the fact that young people come of age um, at a time when, you know, life and time is a little bit more developed, a little bit more evolved, right? And so those young people um, have that more evolved consciousness. And I really do believe um, we're seeing that happen with millennials and also, um, you know, the generation coming right behind them. Um, and so I think that's something to really be watchful for and as, as older generations to really be humble and inquiring around, like, how can we welcome the gifts of these young people who are showing up with um, tools and perspectives and inner resources that our world so desperately needs? Um, and at the same time, while I am such a champion of the younger generation, and I really do believe in um, youth leadership and youth protagonism, um, I'm also aware that there are tremendous gifts and wisdom um, that the boomer generation especially hold um, and that millennials are, are missing, um, gifts that they will never know themselves. Um, and so there's a need for each other. You know, there's an alchemy that can transpire between these generations coming together and sharing their collective wisdom um, and putting that in service of life. And so just want to encourage um, millennials who may listen to this to reach out to boomers and reach out to older 
generations and talk with them and ask them, you know, what was it like when you were younger and ask them about their dreams um, that they hold today and vice versa for boomers and members of older generations to, you know, really get curious about these young people who are coming into your companies or who are part of your family or, you know, live in your neighborhood and talk with them and um, ask some questions about what, what's alive for them. You know, what are their fears and concerns and what are their hopes and dreams? And I really believe just in the power of these simple questions to begin connecting us and leading, you know, towards possibility of, of, collaborating and, and co-creating together. Um, specifically around getting engaged with Generation Waking Up, um, yeah, we, we, we have videos on YouTube, we are present on Facebook, and of course we have a website, so yeah, please find us in all those traditional ways. And we are very friendly, so if you um, just have a question or you're not clear about how you might want to engage, feel free to just send us an email um, and ask us a question. Um, I think that's all I have to say, David. What would be the best email address? Well, you can reach me personally at joshua at generationwakingup.org or you can meet, reach our team at team at generationwakingup.org. Joshua, thank you so much just for me personally. I'm very grateful for you being here with me today and just you being in the world doing what you're doing. And count me in if there's anything I can do uh, either informally and or formally to, to substantiate this commitment you have to intergenerational cross-pollination. Uh, I'm right there. Thank you, David. It really is a gift to, to have somebody like you in the world who sees this younger generation and also, you know, has been an active, vital part of your generation. And so, yeah, I, I look forward to exploring these questions together and, um, yeah, engaging in that, that work of cross-pollination. Okay, well, let's wrap up this conversation. This is Dr. David Kamnitzer. Most people just call me Dr. David, and we've been having an in-depth conversation with Joshua Gorman, the founder and director of Generation Waking Up. And as he mentioned, if you want to find out more about Joshua and his work, just go to www.generationwakingup.org. And so I want to thank everybody involved in this show, everybody who's listening, and Joshua and... Uh, my assistant, Brianna, who helps make it happen. And we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Dr. David here again. Well, that interview with Joshua Gorman just blew me away. I felt so deeply received and honored and respected and was just so impressed with the wisdom and sensitivity and courage of Joshua Gorman. And as a baby boomer that is focusing more and more on wanting to make a difference and leave a legacy that I'm proud of, to know that there are millennial leaders out there like Joshua Gorman makes me feel really, really good. So as always, I'm grateful for you 
There'd be no show without you. Freeing the body, freeing the soul is for you. And if you'd like to support the show, as always, I encourage you to go over to iTunes. It'll just take you a couple of minutes and give the show a five-star rating and a heartfelt review. So until next time, this is Dr. David signing off and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.